I'm Mark Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Today's guest is someone I first met almost 30 years ago. In the intervening time, he has had a glittering career, most of which has been on the underwriting side of the fence, with senior roles at QBE, Brit, and most recently at Gallagher's Pen Underwriting MGA. But now Jonathan Turner is the CEO at Gallagher Specialty UK, he is firmly on the broking side of the box for the first time in his career. In this lively podcast, we get to the heart of what is a really vigorous and fascinating market. A market which is managing to be both very hard and very competitive at the same time, depending hugely on line of business and territory. This is also a newly confident market that is in growth mode and not lacking in capital resources in any meaningful way. Gallagher was an early mover in the long wave of London market wholesale broking consolidation, the high watermark of which we've been seeing lately, and we discuss how this phenomenon has affected market dynamics. We also reflect on what an underwriter's experience can bring to running a broker, along with the prospects for market modernisation, not just in technology, but in cultural and behavioural change too. John's really smart and is very straight talking throughout our encounter. As a consequence, there are an awful lot of really good things packed into a relatively short period of time. Enjoy the podcast. This episode is supported by Oxbow Partners. Oxbow Partners is a management consulting business specialising in the London, Bermuda and European insurance and reinsurance markets. In fact, in 2021 and 2022, they were named one of the top 10 consultancies in the sector by the Financial Times. It's fascinating speaking to the team about the kinds of topics they're supporting. Helping reinsurers take a strategic view of their operating models designing smart follow syndicates in the Lloyds market, and developing ESG responses. The company's strapline talks about giving executives a fresh perspective. So if you're keen to understand the challenges and opportunities coming down the track for your business, I'd recommend giving the team at Oxbow Partners a call. John, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Lovely to be here. Well, it's a hell of a market still, After, and it's surprising perhaps that it's still such a strong and quite difficult market, I would say, for a broker. Why don't you give us a bit of an overview? What's the state of the specialty markets today? It's very fluid, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'd say it's patchy in the sense that we've got pockets that are really tough, really hard. Cyber is the obvious one, if you like, in terms of finding capacity, finding sufficient, sensible pricing for our customer base. You've got some of the classes that are impacted heavily by Ukraine crisis, political violence, aviation war, classes where our client base is challenged, if you like, in what they're having to face in terms of coverage, but also rates. You've got the sort of wind-exposed, hurricane-exposed US property side that's also, there's a dearth of capacity there, so rates continue to go up. But then you've got pockets that are coming off. So we, we see it in the DNO side that's bleeding into PI and some of the financial institutions classes, classes that have had year after year in terms of significant rate increase and shrinking capacity, we're actually seeing it being extremely competitive. So yeah, it's kind of a, it's a challenging market, certainly. It's a challenging market for our client base. It's a challenging market, I know, for insurers. But Mark, when you draw the sort of string tight, in aggregate, I guess we're still seeing rates go up. They're not going up as much as they were at the start of this year. They're not going up as much as they were in 2021. But across the board, it's still a market where the tide is rising, just not as rapidly as it was. And it's a sort of high tide. I mean, everyone's floating clear of any rocks or anything. So I'm really alluding to rate adequacy there. 
is it the reason why some of this competition has come back? Presumably is because now we're into excess profitable territory. I mean, absolutely. I think where we've seen most of that competition, you know, the sort of initially in the excess DNO layers, but that's now bled down into primaries. People have seen what's happened over the last two, three, four years in that class. And I said, actually, you know what? I want a piece of that action. And a number of business plans would have been put together in you know, the second half of 2021, looking at kind of the IPO activity that was going on, the buoyancy, if you like, in terms of pricing and said, yeah, I want a piece of that action. But actually what's really happened subsequently is the crisis in the Ukraine, capital markets activity shut down, IPOs have basically stopped. And now all those business plans that were constructed when the sun was shining, everyone's sort of looking at going after a renewal portfolio that as a consequence has become incredibly competitive. So it's a difficult one for our brokers to navigate. It's much better for our clients in that specific side of things. But at the same time, it, it kind of the vagaries and the supply and demand challenge you know, it's it's very vivid at the moment in that particular area. So it's fair to say that it's a very vigorous and responsive market and that, that people are being pretty rational. Yes. We've not seen irrational underwriting behaviour. What we do see, certainly within Gallagher specialty world, is we have underwriters coming to us every day, every week of the year, and they're all keen to do more. And that tells you something. That tells you that they see this point in the pricing cycle as an opportunity to put the foot down and, and grow and, and expand their business because of rate adequacy, you know, that's great for us to hear because it means we're going to have more and more options for our client base. But at the same time, it, not everyone wants the same stuff. Underwriter A likes pink ones. Underwriter B likes blue ones. Underwriter C likes red ones. And we have to navigate our way around that. Your job is to sort of make them all compromise and have a slightly purpley pink one. Yeah, a blend, a blend, if you like. And, you know, that's the joy of the broker is that we have those options. And if, if we do get one in that's not pink, blue or grey we're able to go and find something accordingly. But you're not finding any actual capital shortage. It's rational capital, is it? Once so, it so can far, hit Mark. return hurdles that are expected, then you can get things done. Absolutely. The behaviour is rational. The area that we still struggle with, I guess, in terms of the market struggles with vertical capacity on is, is really the cyber space. But actually, that is slowly moving in the right direction. There's been a lot of pain over the last probably 24 months in that arena. And we're starting to see people getting a lot more interested in it in terms of carriers coming either back into it or wanting to deploy extra capacity in that line of business. Is that because of the ransomware perception of it being coming a little bit under control, or at least becoming more of a known quantity? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Part of it is re-underwriting, repositioning of, of the risk. And yes, yeah, some further controls that everyone is putting in place and the requirements that underwriters have for to be able to deploy capacity. So I think the fact that, that pricing in that sector has grown so much um, has pretty much trebled, hasn't it? I wouldn't be able to tell you whether it will. Yeah, yeah, and it will vary, Mark, according to territory. It will vary according to subsector or industry segment. But listen, for something that was almost given away for free a couple of years ago, it's really corrected meaningfully. But we're not hitting any actual supply constraints there in terms of there is the big one, there's the systemic risk, There's the sort of, uh, there will be a sort of reinsurance limit hit at which the larger insurers will say, well, you know what, I can't reinsure any more cyber. Are we not hitting that or is that now a problem that's more easily solved because there's better modelling and there's more comfort to get the big capital needed to get those limits away? People understand the risk a lot better today than they did 12 months ago, 24 months ago, 36 months ago. The product's proved itself. We've had claim activity. We've had payouts. But it's a very different type of aggregating exposure than pretty much any other class of business. There's no territorial limits. There's no territorial boundaries. You can have the same loss impacting an enormous slug of any individual portfolio. So I think that the modelling piece 
clearly it's getting better, but it's an evolving line of business and it will continue to change and shift over time. Is it true that because of budgeting constraints, if, if you triple the price or something, often a response from a client might be to spend the same as last year, but have one third of the limits. And therefore, we don't necessarily have the worry from the reinsurance angle that the, the limits aren't going to all clash as much. That's one way of mitigating the price rises. Our job as brokers is to try and find the best possible solution for the client. And we'll try and give as many options as we can. But yeah, when you're capacity constrained, and these clients have budgetary constraints as well, it does become a balance between how much can you afford and Therefore, what's the most pragmatic solution for, for all, all sides? So it's never an actual bonanza. You don't suddenly triple your brokerage overnight, do you, sadly? I couldn't comment, Mark, <laughs> but, but sadly not. No, not normally. But obviously, you mentioned about Ukraine. These are classes such as, you know, whole aviation, whole war, for yeah. example. Are they shut down or are, the, are those classes responding in the way that you'd hope that they would in entrepreneurial ways? So they're not shut down. I mean, we've seen people pull back. We've seen people pull out. We've seen people reduce. But you get quotes. But we are, yeah, we're getting quotes, we're getting orders, we're, we're placing the business, we're renewing the business. I mean, particularly the aviation whole war, you know, we're seeing some pretty substantial rate increases, as you'd expect, in response to what's going on there. And, you know, I think that situation will continue to evolve over the coming months. You know, there's a number of quite big reinsurance renewals coming up mid-year that will dictate what the underlying insurers are able to do in terms of deploying capacity, what price they, price they have to pay for their outwards reinsurance, et cetera. So yeah, it's a very buoyant marketplace at the moment. But yeah, we're able to find capacity. We're able to get the placements home, which is great from a client perspective, just a hell of a lot more painful from a, a monetary spend. Yes. And, and any other notable classes that you're finding you have to use more shoe leather or digital shoe leather, one would say probably these days? So the political violence, you know, terrorism, war on land, that type of exposure, I think if it's a vanilla territory and you know, I classify the UK and the US as sort of vanilla territories... There's plenty of appetite. There's plenty of ability to crack on as before sort of thing. When you get into the more exciting regions and territories where there has been a history of political turmoil, et cetera, that's when it gets really interesting. And that's where it becomes much more hand-to-hand -hand combat and having to get placements home that are tricky and that are more expensive. And some of the underwriters will have been punched in the face a bit by the whole Ukraine situation. That political violence world over the years has been incredibly profitable for Lloyd's. I remember when I was on that side of the fence, it was one of those loss ratios that you kind of looked at and kind of sort of... Uh, it's a catastrophic sort of business, isn't well, it? Well, it is. And they're seeing now... They've kind had of, a cat. They, yeah, they've had a cat. And it, on the back of a couple of other sort of reasonably large, you know, South African riots, things like that that have gone on around the world, but, you know, adding to the woes from that perspective. But psychologically, it's okay. It's not suddenly been such a shock that they've decided never to do this again. They have been on notice since 2014 in the annexation of Crimea. They knew that this was quite an interesting territory. Well, yeah. Absolutely. And it's kind of one of those losses you can, you're seeing, we're watching evolve in front of our faces. And that's the frightening thing is, you know, how much longer it goes on for. Be like being a Florida property cat underwriter saying, no one told me they had hurricanes down in Miami. Yeah. Watching those hurricanes rumble in across the Atlantic. At least that's a reasonably short window. This is a loss that's going on for weeks and months. But I suppose the market response has been at least to take it on the chin. So, well, this is what we're here for. Absolutely. That's what insurance is there for. We're all great at scenario planning and PMLing and trying to understand what the, the maximum downside is. This is a PML busting event, that's for sure. People don't build business plans around this type of scenario. Well, of course, you've had your background as an underwriter. What does it feel when you have one of those really big losses, even if it was within plan, but it's when it actually happens? What does it feel like? Do you question yourself sometimes and you, you need to have the strength to trade through it? When you look at insurance as an industry, pretty much 
it runs at about 100 combined ratio. So every pound, you know, you've got claims and expenses of roughly a pound as well. So you expect to pay losses. That comes with the territory. And actually, it's good when you pay losses because that proves that the product works. My ultimate boss has a brilliant expression, which is, you know, we put people's lives back together. And that's what insurance does. That's what makes it such a wonderful product. That's what makes it such a brilliant industry to be part of is that our business helps the world go around and it helps economies function. And it helps put society, industry, people back in the position they were before the disaster happened. And yeah, you're there to pay losses. If it's a legitimate loss, if it's something that you're expecting, if it's something you model or price for or sell in our case, you know, a product to your clients, then that's a brilliant place to be. But I suppose when that combined ratio hits 200, then you know something went wrong or maybe it didn't, or maybe it was all in the plan at some point. Yeah, I mean, underwriters are always going to have good years and bad years. And it's a case, I guess, if you're on the carrier side, that when you have that bad year, how quickly can you make it back up again? Yeah. I was going to ask this again, because I've known you from almost all of your career as an underwriter and sometimes occasionally personally picking up lines for some of my former colleagues. Yeah. What do you bring as an underwriter to a broking operation? Does that make you a different kind of boss or something? Good question. I mean, I've been in the industry over 30 years now, yeah. so I've seen kind of a number of hard markets, a number of soft markets, probably more soft markets than, than hard, that's for sure. I think it brings a balance. I think it brings a perspective. I think I bring a calmness, if you like. The diversification we have in Gallagher Specialty in my world we do pretty much the sort of A to Z of specialty insurance broking. So I know we're going to have pockets where we're doing really well. I know we're going to have pockets where we're struggling. And like any overall portfolio, that diversification gives us incredible balance and flexibility in terms of managing and building the business. I'm lucky I've got a brilliant leadership team, huge amounts of experience. And I guess I sort of let them get on with it. You know, I help point them in the right direction, but at the same time, allow them to run their businesses because they're big businesses and with incredibly professional and experienced, knowledgeable people. I suppose you can give them the pep talk of saying, well, most underwriters will do this so you can know what strategy to bring. You know, I've seen most things from an underwriter perspective, that's for sure. And a lot of what you see today, we saw back in 2001, post 9-11, we saw a chunk of it post KRW in 2005. And, you know, in the early 90s, when I first started, after all the loss activity had been in the years preceding that, market was in real turmoil. That was a difficult market. It doesn't seem to have been put in the history books as being a difficult market, but certainly I felt it being difficult was my birth into the industry. was I had to be very polite to all the underwriters, certainly, the first couple of Quite years. Quite right too, old boy. <laughs> so... A lot of your job is partly selling the services that the London market can provide, London Lloyds, and those, obviously the specialty market that really has an epicentre here. Mm-hmm. How's London fared out of this hardening market, and quite a long hard market, longer than usual anyway hard market that we've had, an enduring one? How's it faring with clients? Are they sort of, oh, do I have to send it to London or I'll do anything but London? How are they feeling? Do they feel a bit battered and bruised or do they feel that it's all been okay and fairly rational? London's had a bit of a challenge over the last four, five, six years. I mean, just the whole decile 10 that Lloyd's went through over a number of years and continues to focus on. That was challenging for our clients. You know, I'm sure it was challenging for the insurers themselves, but, you know, that lack of consistency year after year was difficult. I think my sense today is that actually Lloyd's is in a pretty good place and that the London market's in a pretty good place. It's still a hugely important part of the global risk transfer mechanism. It has specialisms and and niches that it's famous for. Some of those have taken a pummeling recently with the Ukraine crisis. 
but it's also constantly evolving and growing part of, as I said, everything insurer that comes into us is talking about their growth plans. And that's great to hear. And it will mean ultimately better products, better pricing, better capabilities for our client base. I still see London as a hugely important part of the value chain, but it evolves over time. And, you know, we've seen probably, you know, pull away from reinsurance. We've seen pull away from catastrophe to a certain extent, but it's still growing. You still see, you know, Lloyd's top line and company market top line building and growing within London. So I don't see and that. So that London changing. hasn't done anything different from, from anyone else in that sense that London hasn't been massively more difficult. Yeah. I mean, there's been underwriting remediation everywhere, everywhere, everywhere yeah. and kind of ebbs and flows as to where London might be slightly more competitive in a particular area that one year versus the domestic market. And vice versa. So London traditionally in a hard market, we get business coming into London from the regions around the UK. As the market weakens, insurers get a bit braver, then underwriting authority tends to move away outside of London. So it's that sort of ebb and flow in the supply demand dynamic. And London's still a great place for our customers and still a great place for insurers to build their businesses. So it's pretty vigorous. There's capital and there's appetite. And that's all that really matters. Absolutely. Good. You mentioned about reinsurance. In fact, obviously, now that the Gallagher organization, of course, has become one of the top three reinsurance brokers in the world, how does that change the game for you as a specialty broker? Does it affect you? You've got a fantastic group of new colleagues that you can potentially collaborate with. Have you got any plans to work together on things, particularly now that there are so many pressing problems to solve that might require capacity? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. And it's a wonderful acquisition for Gallagher, point one. Point two, kind of seeing some of my old sparring partners back in the same room is both amusing, but also really positive, if you like, from a business perspective. They had a fantastic reputation, a fantastic brand as a group of people, and we were very lucky to have them on board. It brings, you know, new territories, it brings new clients, it brings new geographies for us that Gallagher wasn't necessarily have a footprint in, which allows us to then build our businesses in those areas, in those regions. And yeah, collaboration, I mean, it's sort of early days in many ways in that, you know, we're six months in or whatever. But yeah, cross-pollination of, of knowledge, collaboration in terms of what's going on in particular sectors, markets, and so on, what our clients are likely to face going forward in terms of insurer reaction to the ongoing situation and, and what the people's plans are for you know 23 and beyond. So yeah, there's all sorts of opportunities for that and that sharing of knowledge and just making everyone more aware of the wider insurance value chain is something that will stand us in good stead as we go into the balance of this year and, and next. Yes. And I want to talk about innovation. I, I suppose almost by definition, specialty has to be innovative because it's things that don't fit anywhere else. So you have to have a culture of innovation. Um, do you think we're innovating fast enough as a marketplace? Because the world's changing so much faster. There are so many new problems. Obviously, cyber didn't really exist 15, 20 years ago. It does now in a very meaningful sense. Are we going fast enough to help put people back together in the way that they need to be put back together in the 21st century rather than 20th and 19th century risk yeah, transfer. I mean, broker's job is always innovative, as, as you'll recall from your early days, you know, finding solutions. There's um, no such thing as a vanilla renewal. No. <laughs> and, you know, I think that the mentality that the team has here, and I think the mentality that, you know, that exists in the broking world is finding solutions and giving your customer options and coming up with innovative answers to quite often difficult questions. I think the challenge for insurance more broadly is, firstly, how do we make it and this is a sort of pet topic of mine is, you know, how do we make insurance sexy? How do we encourage good people, diverse people, young people to join the sector? And then how do we also spread the word so that we do create innovative new products that tackle the changing world and the different types of businesses that are thriving in this day and age? 
you know, innovation. We see all sorts of money plowing into insure techs and, and so on, lots of which are, are fabulous ideas in their own right. But at the same time, do they really have scale and will they meaningfully transform the way we do things? The London market generally has been innovative for, for centuries and long may that continue. I see us evolving all the time. And actually, as you say, Mark, I think it is changing quickly around us and we need to be very responsive to that. On that culture question, how do you get some of the graduates who probably wouldn't have gravitated towards insurance before to come towards you? How do you sort of market yourselves to them? So that's a blend of mechanisms. We've started trying to grow our own, having a Gallagher Futures Programme, a graduate intake. We're looking at schools, we're looking at underprivileged, trying to get, I guess, a, a more diverse workforce coming in at grassroots level. You know, the reality is when you look around the market, it's very white, it's very middle class, it's very male. And that doesn't really reflect the society in which we operate. We need to do more to bring that diversity of thought, that diversity of culture into the team so that we can be responsive to a customer base that doesn't look 100% white, 100% male, 100% middle class. It is very different than that. Guilty as charged because I've, I've moved from insurance, which would be obviously probably the whitest, most middle class profession in the UK, to uh, media, which is even more so. So there you go. You mentioned about InsurTech. So do you have a particular strategy or a way of going about things? And also with innovation, for example, from the carrier side, I've had a couple of people who have the word either incubation or innovation in their job title to talk to, which is fascinating, really interesting that carriers have almost decided to get around the problem of siloing by creating a new silo that is trying to join everything up because otherwise it's too hard or people are worried about you messing around with their P&L. What do you do on the broking side? If you've got people walking around who have the word innovation in their job title, or you'd rather have a culture of innovation that everyone be innovative? So I think, as we sort of alluded to earlier, Mark, I think the broker's role is a pretty innovative one anyway. So I think that's, you know, just part of the mentality and the makeup. And that's certainly what we try to promote. The InsureTech world, you know, we monitor it corporately and have a team that specifically is looking at all the investment and startups and all. Probably that's something that's also coming from Gallagher. They were pretty strong on, on doing that. Yeah, that's only going to enhance it, yep. given, given what they're there trying to provide capacity and capital into those sorts of new businesses. So far, we haven't really seen anything that's been hugely exciting, if you like, in terms of will it transform our business. But at the same time, when I look at the specialty segment, London market modernization, Blueprint 2, digitization, that's all coming. And we'll be investing heavily in that space because we want to provide a much better, quicker, slicker service for our client base so that we can free up time to do what they really value, which is the advice pit, you know, the advisory, the guidance, the innovative thinking around solutions, as opposed to the kind of worrying about the mundane part of the policy and, and getting it placed and getting it invoiced and so on. So I think there's, there's a huge amounts of opportunity there for us and for the industry and for London in particular to become that sort of much slicker, more 21st century business model than it has been historically. And do you think that's going fast enough at the moment? Obviously, it is difficult. We all know it's such a diverse marketplace and it's hard not to move at the speed of the slowest. But are we going fast enough, do you think? So I think the market sort of accelerated by about 10 years in the space of about 10 weeks in 2020. The whole thing around PPL usage and electronic placing and you know something that, I mean, I think I first came across the concept of electronic placing, I think in the early 1990s. And to be here in 2022, and the vast majority of what we do anyway, goes through on PPL. That's a great place to be. But yeah, you know, we were dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century, as far as I'm concerned, in, you know, by the pandemic and by the working from home situation. 
So is it moving as quickly as I'd like it to? I don't think it's moving as quickly as anyone would like it to, Mark, because it's like herding cats. You know, it's corralling both carriers, brokers, and trying to get everyone pointed in the right direction. But I think the will is definitely there. And hopefully this time we've got decent momentum that it'll keep going at a pace. And obviously you're part of that conversation at the highest level within the London market. Ultimately, the London market's inefficiency has to be paid for by slightly higher brokerage, which I'm sure you have to go and ask for, and they don't always want to give it to you. You have the arguments and you have the data to prove that it probably is more expensive to do business here than it is in another hub relative. And so are you keen to compete away and digitize away those costs so that the playing field could be equal and you could do more business? I mean, there's always an arm wrestle over commissions, as, 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 as you know. But I think the important thing, Mark, is are we adding value in the conversation? And if we're providing great advice, great analytics, great advisory capabilities to our client base, then they're going to value that and will want to pay for that. And carriers, we see them you know, changing appetite all the time, which can sometimes be frustrating for us and frustrating for our client base. But you know what? That's the beauty of the market in which we operate. And because we've got that syndicated placement model, because we've got a London market with a huge variety of risk appetites, it does mean that we have great choice and have a great ability to provide innovative solutions to our client base. Along with all the pipes and drains and now hopefully mostly fibre optic cables that are all being replumbed up and down Lime Street, is there other broader changes? Is it behavioural change? And, and we've alluded to that with this being a not a very diverse industry. But then we can also say that perhaps some of the behaviours within that industry of the last 20 years haven't been so good. And we've had this employee fine and situation. And this has been something that's really been brought to head, particularly brought into the public domain over the last three or four years, particularly, and also with Lloyd's openly wanting to address the issue with a culture survey to change behaviours. Do you think... Now that we've come to the stage where something's out in the open, are you confident we can now really start addressing this issue properly and talking about it more openly and then therefore dealing with it? Or do you think there's more bad stuff to come before it gets better, hopefully? So it's great that we're talking about it. It's great that we are focused on it. I look back at the industry five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, etc. It is a very different place. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't challenges and issues out there that will need fixing and solving. But I think it's a much more open dialogue now, and that can only be a good thing. But do you think that the argument has been one that people say, well, if you confront someone with behaviour that probably was okay 15 years ago, they're pretty understanding that it's not okay anymore? I believe that, yes. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are plenty of pockets of poor behaviour going on around the place. Not just in insurance, by the way. Let's not let's not kill well, it. I mean, let's not, not say that the world is suddenly going to become 100% good all the time. You know, we're all sinners, aren't we? So bad things are going to still happen. Quite, but I think that the frequency of it is on the wane. But I also think people are calling it out now, which they didn't used to. And it's unacceptable. And people are dealing with it and are addressing it. So it's very much front and centre of, listen, it's front and centre of the way we think. It's front and centre of the way the regulator thinks, and I know it's front and centre of the way the vast majority of organisations across this great London market think as well. Something I forgot to ask you earlier was, I'd say brokers are always consolidating. They always have been for such a long time. I went off to become a journalist because of consolidation. That was 22 years ago. 
And at that time, we used to deal with this guy called David Howden, who was a small wholesale broker. He used to do the DNO line slip for my broker. And he was a wonderful guy. And I thought he was crazy at that time to be going off on his own. Of course, now here we are. You know, he's one of your main competitors, but it's taken a long time, obviously. But it's only 30 years later, he's one of your main competitors. Consolidation goes in big waves. I think Gallagher was probably start the beginning of the last big wave that we've had in the London market. How has that affected the dynamics now that we are down to a much lower number of much bigger wholesale brokers than before? How has that affected the dynamic, do you think? Or has it just made you even more competitive with a smaller number of people because you're all more sophisticated? It's definitely still very competitive. I mean, Gallagher is a business that's been built by acquisition, as you know, and you know we'll continue to acquire businesses week after week. That's I mean, it's looking at the financial statements of Gallagher, it's just there is an acquisition every couple of weeks. Yeah. Correct. So we're part of the phenomenon, I guess. But yeah, I mean, certainly London market consolidation from a broker perspective, yeah, there's a war for talent out there. There's a war for you know getting good brains and good people into our businesses. We're a sort of victim of that, but we're also part of the challenge in that we're doing it ourselves. The broker market has rapidly changed from a wholesale perspective here in London. Certainly not for bad, it's, it's for good. There's some great businesses out there, whether they're publicly owned, private equity owned, et cetera. And we totally respect that. But we've got a desire to build out our capability yeah. to build a culture and, and have an entrepreneurial style of doing business that allows people to join us and thrive and build their careers and build relationships. And that's going to be part of the Gallagher DNA, that's for sure. And, and it always will be. But, you know, London broker consolidation is clearly accelerated over the last couple of years. And we've got some impressive competition as a consequence. Do you think it bodes well for the market in terms of things like, for example, when the market was much more fragmented, say 20 years ago, when you had hundreds of two partner firms, every day you'd find a new firm that you'd never heard of that was a specialist in something. Presumably those firms were unable to invest in things like technology, yeah, whereas I mean, now, you really, now you've got a whole IT department, you've got chief information officers and chief technology officers who can yeah. go and do all that clever stuff, whereas presumably with smaller brokers... We're unable to do that. They said, well, I'm a jeweler's block specialist and I don't really care about the processing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the beauty of the broker model and the distribution that we have. We have great data. And when you get those huge portfolios that exist that we have currently, that's stuff you can play back to customers and clients and talk knowledgeably about what we're seeing, talk knowledgeably about how they should be protecting their particular businesses, how we can provide great advice and great leadership and advisory services to what can be very complex businesses. Well, thank you very much, John. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. It's been great catching up. Indeed. Thank you. Good luck with everything. And as the market develops, keep us updated. Will do. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, 
Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>